Hello and welcome to the Quacked Out Podcast episode, I don't know, I'm Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley, a producer Paul might join us later if he's done working on his golf swing or whatever by then. Um, <laughs> I was trying to come up with a better word. Um, we're in the Fiesta Bowl and we're very happy about it and we're playing a very good Iowa State team and you already know all this already. So let's start with what we haven't known, uh, or what we haven't covered, at least, on this podcast. Um, the Auburn coaching hire did not affect us in the direct way we feared it might, uh, that being Mario Cristobal leaving. He got his extension. But it might indirectly affect us with Boise State possibly taking Andy Avalos as their head coach. Um, real quick, I mean, I don't... I mean, there's first of all, there's not a lot for us to talk about with this because I mean, in, in his presser, Avalos is going full coach speak as always. Um, like, no, there's no conversations. I'm not involved in those conversations. Like, whatever. Okay, sure. Um, but his agent is, if he isn't. Um, right. And whether or not that affects preparations for the bowl game is kind of beside the point. Like, we know it's not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if. I mean, this isn't, that wouldn't be a terrible, you know, it's not unrealistic to think he might take the job by any means. Yeah, definitely not. I think it sounds like it's um, him. Kellen Moore is obviously the other big name. Uh, and then like a coach from Montana State, I forget his name. But Moore's yeah. currently with the Cowboys, am I right? OC? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Boise State doesn't have a ton of pressure to get this sorted out because they're not in a bowl game, and it's a while till the February recruiting period, uh, recruiting signing period starts. So I think you know, like you said, it, it's not going to have any effect on the Iowa State Fiesta Bowl at this point, um, and that's that's for the best probably. Um, that that feels like it's locked in, and and we'll be able to focus on that game totally long term. I think. Um, I mean, my, my stance on it is, yeah, Avalos has been a good defensive coordinator for us, but we kind of always knew this was going to happen. And really what's important is that we have Cristobal. I think if we have him, we'll make good assistant hires. And honestly, it's, it's probably not the worst thing in the world for us making those assistant hires. If we start to build up this track record of, people coming to Oregon and then getting promoted to better jobs from there. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, in the camp of good luck to Avalos. Hopefully he does a great job at Boise state if that's the job he takes. And if not, we get a good DC for another year probably. And then, you know, we'll see what happens next year. You know, I think that's going to be an annual question with him and, and Moorhead and probably almost anyone we get to fill those coordinator roles. Yeah, and I mean, it's a it's a testament to um, the amount of good hires that uh, Mullins and, I mean, Cristobal himself have made. Um, which, I mean, speaking of which, Boise State doesn't even have an AD right now, so they'll probably get that figured out before we talk about uh, coaches for them. I don't know, maybe not. But, I mean, regardless, it's... You know, it, this is something that happens to good programs every year. I mean, that's 
when people talk about like Alabama's dominance, that's the first thing, one of the first talking points that comes to mind is that like, yeah, you got so much turnover every year, not just on your roster with guys going pro, but I mean, with literal coaches leaving to get different jobs. So it's part of the business. Um, and I mean, we've, we've been really uh, positively receptive of Mario's hires in the past. So there's no reason he can't, you know, find some more. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, it really feels like he's upgraded a lot of times that he's gone out and made a hire uh, mm-hmm. and done th- stuff that was kind of unorthodox. I mean, I remember um, when Levitt left, first of all, people were kind of like, why did Levitt leave? And then they were like, oh, well, we'll just promote Hayward from within. That's like the obvious thing. And and that's what the old Oregon staff would have done. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I mean, that's that was kind of the tradition at Oregon when it was chip and Helfrich um and all that um you know was was really promote from within but uh he said you know he went and found Avalos and it has been a great hire it feels like I think that definitely though it's not crippling to the program if Avalos leaves in part because I, I don't think he's a great recruiter really he's not a bad one but I think you know Mario's really the one that makes that all go and then we have a few other stars on the staff in terms of recruiting, but Avalos isn't quite that. I, I don't think it means that we couldn't still land a JTT or that we won't recruit well in the 2022 cycle at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm not too, too torn up about it. It it doesn't even um, approach, you know, how, how uh, bad it would have been if Cristobal had left. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, there's guys out there. I mean, so the streets are saying like Tosh deploy or whatever, or like, like you said with, I mean, promoting from within, I mean, Ken Wilson seems to be like sort of in line for that kind of thing. But again, that's, yeah. that all, this all could mean absolutely nothing um, in a few days time or whatever. So let's, let's get to the game. Um, the line, since we last spoke, I believe the line is actually gone tipped a little more towards the cyclones in the past few days um Mm -hmm. we were staring down like three three and a half when it first broke and now it's up to four four and a half in some places so i mean a lot of pundits and experts or whatever like the cyclones i mean obviously they're i mean they've i don't know if they've earned the number 10 ranking but um they've earned a pretty high ranking considering how they started the season especially um, I mean, we ran down through the schedule in the last pod, but eight wins is a very impressive feat in a COVID year, um, regardless of who the three losses are to. Um, and so, I mean, this is, it's definitely going to be the best quarterback Oregon has faced. It's definitely going to be the best running back Oregon has faced. Um, and definitely just the best all around team we've faced. Um, I mean, yeah, USC was undefeated or whatever, but like, come on, this is, this is a real team we're playing here. And it's tough to think of it that way, because like, if you just think about the brands of like Oregon and Ohio state, like most casual fans will go, Oh, we'll just roll over them. Like Iowa state, where even is that? Like, um, here's a hint. It's in Iowa. Uh, it took me (laughs) a little while to find it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's. A very interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I think that um, it's certainly the best coach team we've faced. Uh, like you said, I mean, 
great quarterback running back duo. We faced a couple of good ones. I mean, especially Jamar Jefferson, I think is, is a very legit running back, but mm-hmm. Brees Hall, uh, like you said, arguably better, certainly. Um, Purdy's a solid quarterback. Uh, you know, this is an interesting matchup. I think, I mean, pulling up something like the team talent composite, which we've mentioned, you know, it, it aggregates the recruiting classes. Iowa State's a program that right now is working with only a handful of four stars. Mm-hmm. They have four right now, it says. So, uh, and I think Brees Hall is one of those, obviously, the star running back. But you look at that, and I think you th- you feel like, Oregon should be in a b- good position, but obviously the X factors are they're coached really well. Um, and they have a lot of experience on that roster, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you know, Iowa state is literally 57th in that team talent composite. Oregon state is 56th. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's just an interesting thing to look at compared to, you know, now Oregon standard is, you know, we we don't expect to play many people who aren't four stars really anymore mm-hmm. um, is what we're starting to move into. So it's different, but, I, you know, I wouldn't discount those factors of coaching and experience. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously those people in Vegas generally know what they're doing. There's a reason why they have this as a close game and, and leaning Iowa State maybe even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's also worth noting one obvious thing that I feel like has kind of lost a lot of its shine um, throughout the season is that we've had so many opt-outs. Like, we we just skip over the fact that, like, oh, yeah, you know, Thomas Graham's gone. Like, you know, <laughs> you're starting Nichols gone. You're starting Corner's gone. You're starting middle linebacker. I mean, that was an opt-out, but he's gone. Like, you just go down the list, and there's so many guys that we just don't have anymore. And I mean, yeah. like Cristobal mentioned in his presser, like we essentially lost two classes and only gained one this year. Um, right. So yes, we're ahead in talent, but I mean, like I keep harping on, this is the youngest team in college football, or at least you know FBS. Um, so while you know stars are really nice to look at at the end of the day, and they're like a really nice you know way to measure up talent top to bottom experience definitely factors into that too and the ma- fact of the matter is like this team does not have a ton of experience um although the place places where i would expect our you know little bit of experience to shine through has been improving um as of our last game and we talked about this a lot but the defensive line had definitely its best performance against usc and it's gonna have to have just as good, if not a better performance in this game, because I mean, we've talked about tackling all season, right? And you cannot afford to miss tackles against Iowa State. Definitely. Yeah, I think, like you said, the D-line's a very important area of focus. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, I think Kayvon is, is someone that people are highlighting that could have a big game. And, I definitely agree with that, that he'll be a big factor in the game. Um, But one thing to look at is probably, you know, they're going to be bringing some extra attention to him uh, in terms of chips with the tight end and stuff, because they, they have three tight ends out there. um, Iowa state does Mm -hmm. generally. So I think that, you know, those types of um, 
double teams he's facing could open it up for also other players like my man Brandon Dorless to have a big game. Mm-hmm. Who, by um, the way, has had he got a feature in I think it was the Emerald recently. He's had a great season, big breakout season for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he's had a really great season. He's going to be um, really special going forward, and he could have a big factor in this game. Um, Jordan Scott said this is his last game officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, he can put out a good performance. But yeah, I think you know D line's important, especially because this is you know their O line isn't overly talented. Kayvon obviously should be able to win those one-on-one matches consistently mm-hmm. if he gets them. Yeah, I mean, I think it because of that, I think it's really going to come down to first of all rotation guys, like how, you know, how we know how the first teamers can play and that's pretty damn good, but I mean, the backups that was one of the biggest differences I saw against USC was that even guys like Popo and Brandon Dorless um, and Christian Williams were like getting, well, like what have you, getting pushed into the backfield like consistently, no matter who was in there. Because, like you said, they do run three tight ends. This is why it really comes down to the linebackers. Like, we've had some issues with guys like Funa or ISM during the season, but they're just going to have to have their best games pretty much. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. And I will say both of those guys have improved a lot. I think that mm-hmm. that USC game, it was certainly Isaac Slade's best game. Oh, yeah. Um, and Funa has come on pretty ha- uh, pretty well over the course of the season. I mean, he had one of the most shortened off-seasons, definitely, because he had a kid. And, you know, I mean, the off-season was shortened for everyone in general. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I honestly do feel like that USC game, was a situation where this defense kind of turned a corner uh, more than just it being an outlier game that happened. I, I do think that it was a real moment of improvement, and I expect that our linebackers will, you know, continue that new form um, in this bowl game. And then, yeah, I mean, the young guy, Noah Sewell, hopefully he keeps going. He's he's had a bit of a – he had, a you know, such a strong start, obviously – um Mm -hmm. and physically he's amazing there's some times in that usc game where um you know he was a little over eager i remember one one play in particular where he tried to come up and make a tackle in the backfield and just you know stephen carr just had to basically yeah take one step to the left or whatever and yeah you know just just stuff that you need to play with really sound fundamentals when you get to the college level and you're playing against other D division one, you know, power five caliber athletes rather than in high school, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's at such a higher level than everyone else. He can do afford to, you know, cut some corners, <laughs> I guess you can say. Make a highlight play instead of making a nice slow tackle for loss. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, another guy, speaking of, you mentioned uh, May Spoon had a kid. Speaking of having kids, Austin Fallu, starting defensive end, will be available after having a child himself. So congrats, Austin, even though you're definitely not listening to this. Um, <laughs> but he will be with the team. And Cristobal also mentioned, where did I put it? I can't remember. Brian Addison was also available. So, um, yeah, and, and he's, yeah. I mean, moving down here through, um, you know, we've touched D-line and linebacker. Moving into the secondary, um, 
we had Addison, Brian Addison, and Jerron Waters switch over to defensive back. I think they're mm-hmm. situated at corner for the moment. Um, and it seems like we might have some depth issues there. Uh, Lenore and Wright at least are good to go. I think DJ James is still good to go, but kind of the rumblings have been that we're pretty thin on bodies at corner right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but, off the top of my head, I mean, Lenore and Wright are really the only two like guys we've seen this year. I mean, Manning's played in what one game. I know a lot of people are excited to see him, but I mean, you know, the coaches are going to make that decision. DJ yeah, James, and, I guess. Yeah, DJ DJ James has had a, he had a big play against USC, but has you know he's been a solid contributor here and there. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely been the Lenore and Wright show, and for good reason. They're both really good corners, but yeah, um, yeah. A lot of emphasis this week, or not this week, this year has been on like leaders. Um, cause obviously Javon Holland was, was that even as a sophomore for us, um, Verone, I've been really impressed with Verone McKinley. Um, haven't, you know, not necessarily from like a film standpoint, but more like I see him being like the instigator a lot of times when it comes to energy mm-hmm. on defense and like getting everybody ready to go. And he's, you know, motivating guys. And that's a big thing that you don't necessarily get all the time. So, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. glad he stepped up a lot. I hope he has a big game. No, I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, he, he's been big for sure. Um, yeah, I, I played a – I was playing on NCAA 14. I did, like, a run through of the game, and Verone, <laughs> Verone took a 90-yard pick six to the house. So I don't mind that. Hopefully he can, hopefully he can replicate that maybe. What was the final score of your uh... – game it was um it was 51 to 6 i think oh nice nice okay yeah i really had to put put it on from mckinley (laughs) no no yeah we had the 51 yeah okay (laughs) i mean as far as the secondary goes we've had our say about the happel versus williams debate um mainly being that like give the spot to bennett williams already (laughs) Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it seemed like he got some more play. That's something else I wanted to touch on was that safety rotation seemed like it was getting figured out in the USC game more. I think we saw a little less of Happel. We saw a decent amount of Bennett Williams, a lot of Verone, mm-hmm. uh, some Nick Pickett in there. Um, and I think that that three is really what I would like to see uh, is McKinley, Bennett, uh, Williams, and Nick Pickett because – I just think that they're our best shots to to win. I think, I mean, I think Bennett Williams is probably our most talented one. I think McKinley is a leader, a really smart player, and talented enough to get it done. And then Pickett has a ton of experience. Physically, you know, he, he might not be exactly the level that we want to have playing for us, you know, as we go into trying to compete for a championship and elevate the standard and all that. But mm-hmm. right now... He can get the job done, and you know he's a good tackler. Um, so I think, you know, he, he probably is our is a our a great option for us as a depth guy and a rotation guy. I agree. Um, anything else on the defense? I mean, um, one other guy uh, who I like a lot, uh, Adrian Jackson, is questionable. Oh yeah. Um, and I think just in line with what you said about 
you know, the D line and the linebackers and trying to get a pass rush on them um, and, you know, disrupt. I think, you know, Adrian Jackson is a, is a guy that could have a breakout game if they, you know, put him in, let him sit there in one-on-one matchups with a tackle or something on the edge. Um, if Tibbs is, is requiring a double team or a chip, then I think um, he could be a big factor. So hopefully he's good to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting with bowl games because, I mean, I, what I was going to say is that bowl games are always, you know, big like breakout games for a lot of guys. When in reality, I mean, every game could be a breakout game. It's just that there's more of a spotlight on bowl games. Right. My point being, who do you see? I mean, we've kind of mentioned a couple different names. Who do you see like being a big guy that can actually step up and make a big difference for this defense that maybe a casual fan hasn't heard of a lot? I'll let you go first. Um. Well, I mean, I love Dorless. I think that people are starting to hear about him a lot. I think he could have a really big game. Um. So I think that would be the clear pick. Another guy I, I would mention is uh, Jamal Hill. I, I think I feel pretty firmly that, you know, that USC game, obviously anyone watching that, you know, heard the name Jamal Hill on both those interceptions and a, and a few other big plays. I feel uh, confident, you know, that wasn't a one-off performance. I think that he's building. Um, I think that he has all the traits to be a really special player at Oregon. Um, both, you know, physically and, and mentally. So I think that's another name that could have a big game. And I know people have said, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Iowa State's tendency to turn the ball over and whether they've turned it over more times than they should have or less times than they should have. Um, I know Hithliday said uh, they've turned it over less than he thought they should have, that hmm that Purdy's throwing a lot of jump balls. And if they do that, then Jamal Hill is a guy to watch, I think, definitely to get an interception or either the corner spots certainly are, are household names, but they could get a pick as well. Yeah, and I mean, that was uh, Avalos's huge emphasis during his press conference was creating turnovers. I mean, that that's really the emphasis of his entire defense, really. But um we haven't seen it until the last game. I mean, we've been on the losing end of the turnover battle for, was it every game before that? Like, so I, I mean, it's turnovers are, it's a hard thing to like try to say you'll create turnovers because they seem so random and just like out of control really. But I mean, you can see, like you can literally see it happening. I mean, when tackles are being made, are you punching for the ball or not? Like, Right. Is your scheme designed to create havoc for the quarterback and make him force some throws, which is kind of what we did against Slovis. I mean, just made him make totally. some poor decisions. Yeah. I mean, even he couldn't even throw the ball away without getting intercepted. Um, right, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, mean, I don't know how well that'll work against someone as experienced as Brock Purdy, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I do think he has shown a tendency, despite his experience, to make some um, – you know, some tough throws, just, you know, just kind of throw those 50-50 balls or whatever, um, take a risk, you know. And so I think with how close this game is going to be, obviously turnovers is a big factor. 
Um, and if we win that turnover battle, then I think you start to feel pretty good about our chances. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what tipped the scales in a lot of ways in last year's bowl game, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if no. we, I've been thinking back to the Rose Bowl a lot recently. And I mean, without that Brady Breeze blocked punt touchdown, like, where, where are we really at? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, or without the yeah the forced fumble there at the end, it mm -hmm. felt like we absolutely needed to set up that last Herbert run. Um, I mean, I think that you know one good thing is that we're not quite as handcuffed offensively now. Um, you know, now that Arroyo is gone, I feel a little better about our ability to actually string together a drive in the second half. Hopefully, I don't know. Um, I mean, in in that sense, though, I feel more confident in last year's team to put a game-winning drive together than this year's team, or this year's offense, at least. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would say the same thing. I, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess think it depends who's that, the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that O line was um, was obviously a lot better than this year's has been. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can talk about it as we shift over into offense here. Yeah, um, I mean, you did mention O-line real quick. Uh, Sala is still, like, day-to-day -day questionable, basically. Um, which is, yeah, which is pretty big, yeah, um, to be honest. Deal. I mean, he is arguably, some people even think, our best offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. um, I know other, you know, Stephen Jones is in that mix, definitely. But Sala's been really, really good for us. And we really only have six offensive linemen. One of them is, is Ryan Walk, you know, who really, um, we've talked about, isn't, you know, necessarily a power five body, mm -hmm. um, just in terms of size, length, and all that. So it puts us in a tough position if Sala's out definitely. And it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup because um, – Iowa State doesn't really bring a lot of blitzes. They, you know, are rushing three a lot, four sometimes. Um, they can, you know, mix it up a little bit with how they attack, um, you know, how the, how they bring those those three or four guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's it's going to be a key, I think, for us really is, is going to be on the offensive line communicating, switching guys, not getting, you know, not letting people have open – lanes to the quarterback um when they don't bring a blitz because if if they're able to get pressure with three or four that really puts us in a tough position in the passing game and you know on a rewatch of the usc game that's something that definitely stood out to me was um a lot of the reason it i think that shuck struggled was because he didn't have a ton of clean pockets and those opportunities to pass the ball down the field really mm -hmm. um and yeah, you I know, mean, a lot of fans like me, especially, were looking for big play potential potential in that game because that's, I mean, really, that's the kind of stuff that won us the game against Utah, being able to stretch the field um, vertically. But that's, that's tough against a team that often uses three safeties in their three-three-five. Right. Like, it's it's going to be tough to make those kind of big plays. Although we, I mean, should have Pittman and Johnny Johnson, maybe even for another season of Johnny Johnson. Uh, we can get to that later. Um, but then I think my like X factor player for this game is uh, Travis Dye. Like it has to be, because as far mm -hmm. as we know, Verdell is still like dealing with some 
injury problems. He might not be 100%. And, I mean, Dai is listed as the co-starter on this week's depth chart. Like, he's he's going to be the guy. Um, and he yep. was – he stepped up big against USC. He had a great game. But we're going to need another one from him, especially if Salah's out. Yeah, going to need another one from him. And hopefully we get another uh, good game from Sean Dollars, too. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of fans are – you know, we're finally excited to see him contribute majorly in the USC game. I know I was. And so let's just keep that going, especially if Rodell is out. He's got to get a good share of the carries because, yeah, I mean, that you know, that's my philosophy is Travis Dye's good experience back. He deserves his share. Um, you know, a guy like Cyrus, I just think, is more of a short yardage back, really. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sean Dollars has to be that, you know, second or third guy that you give a, a good bulk to. And I, I have faith in him to, you know, step up. So that's something to be excited about, too. And that was my uh, pick for the other thing I was talking about earlier. I can't remember what I called it. Like, someone a casual fan might know the name of by the end of the game yeah um yeah Noah Sewell was mine on defense Um, yeah I think do casual fans know about Noah Sewell they probably probably yeah I I think they do I think they do he's not quite as yeah I think they do because I mean the Sewell connection is pretty big and he's such a good um you know the freshman potential he's not quite the name that Thibodeau was though like I remember oh yeah it, everyone knew about Thibodeau, even really casual fans did, just because it was such a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Devin Williams, I think, could be a big factor in this game, actually, mm-hmm. because there's some talk about Iowa State's uh, secondary, you know, athletically just not being able to hold up uh, in deep routes. They're kind of designed to stop that, uh, you know, short to medium passing game more. Mm-hmm. Uh, really designed to stop an offense like USC's, you know, that kind of um, medium yardage air raid attack. But it, you can probably get them over the top. And I, I will say, you know, that's honestly one of the areas that Chuck has been pretty good in is his deep passing accuracy. He's thrown a few good balls, especially early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he could hit one of those to, you know, a Devin Williams, maybe – Micah Pittman is probably a good deep threat, so is Johnny Johnson. Um, those deep balls could be big for us. And then, yeah, I mean, being able to being able to run the ball effectively is going to be good, too, because I think, um, you know, like I said, they don't load up the D-line too much. They don't bring blitzes all that often. So, um, you know, they, they kind of let you get those, uh, you know, medium yardage runs, five yards here and there. Um, and so if we can do that and move the ball, then we're in a good spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, to circle it all back, I think, I do think that the group, you know, that I, uh, think determines the game more than anything is really the O-line and both the pass protection element of it and, you know, the run blocking. That and, I mean, quarterback, like, let's be honest. Yeah. Shuck has been totally on and off all season long. I mean, no matter how much Moorhead wants to tell us that he's developed this season, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he has, by the way, in practice and behind the background and stuff, you know, in the background. But, I mean, as far as what we've seen, it hasn't been, like, super positive game to game. Um, and, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see more Anthony Brown packages. Uh, I mean, they were used – he was super effective when he was in. 
I mean, we scored on we scored every time he was in the game, did we not? I mean, yeah, most of those were goal line situations, but he had that long. Well, maybe it was a clock killing drive at the end against USC. Yeah, I can't remember. But regardless, I mean, he came in and took care of business every time he was out on the field. So uh, I would not be, I wouldn't be angry at seeing more Anthony Brown. Um, yeah, I think I think he did too, but I it just depends what the game plan is really because I felt like in that USC game we kind of gave up on hitting deep passes on them and mm-hmm. kind of uh, especially after we kind of got that lead early, um, it just felt like you know we're gonna run the ball. They've come back so many times late uh, in games, especially kind of. Uh, via these interceptions they've gotten and everything. So, you know, we're really going to put them in a tough position and force them to get it done, not give them a, a big play. Um, so I think, you know, it. I think while Anthony Brown was successful and I'd be happy to see him in, in those short yardage situations, um, it's not like he came in and was, you know, throwing the ball 20 yards downfield and hitting receivers. Um, I mean, that's you know, not that wasn't his, that wasn't his role. And yeah, it's not to say he can't. Um, yeah, it's, it's exactly. I mean, that's, that's all I would say is just, you know, the jury's still out on that. Uh, we don't know whether he can or can't at the level that Shuck had earlier in the season or is, is at right now. Um, so that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they open up more of the offense to him or if they just stick with him in that short yardage goal line role that he was effective in, like you said. Yeah, and I mean, like, for all the people who just want to see wins and just want to see, like, like, okay, let me put it this way. I genuinely believe that we have a better chance of winning the game if we start Anthony Brown. That being said, I still want to see Tyler Shuck on starting this game, and that's because... The biggest thing for a guy who's struggling like the way he is, which by the way, he's still playing well. Like he's not unplayable or something. I mean, he's he's still decent and he's developing. But there's the key right there is developing. He needs his confidence, and this is the type of game that can totally give him that confidence back for next season. Um, and that that's the biggest thing he needs right now, really. That and like making better reads. But again, like he's a quarterback. You need to have confidence or else you will fail. Like it's not a question. Um, so I, yeah. I'd be okay with, I'm totally okay with Chuck starting this game. He probably will. He might struggle at times. I'm okay with leaving him in, you know, as long as the game's not like over. But I also think that, I mean, more than any game this season, the coaches aren't going to be afraid to throw, uh, Brown in there. Like if they, if we really, really are in trouble. Um, but again, well, maybe they will leave Chuck in and let him get that confidence boost for the comeback. So. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing is, I mean, technically, Brown has another year of eligibility, um, mm-hmm. you know, due to this whole COVID thing. Uh, and I don't really think this is true, so maybe it's not worth going off on a tangent about it. But, you know, it could, if you if they really believe that Brown is our better quarterback, then they should probably... Um, you know, then then I think it would be it would have been worth playing him, you know, in this game or earlier even in a in a major role, more major role, mm-hmm. and then taking him back next year because that honestly really puts us on a better clock in terms of where we want to be in 
incorporating recruits into everything because, I mean, uh, you know, Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield and all that, I think that is a competition we want to have at least at the latest after next season mm-hmm. going into the 2022 year. I think it will, you know, be time to bring those guys in. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. That's all probably more of an off-season topic yeah, anyways. Yeah, it's a good point, but, though. I mean, like, they they probably would have, if they had felt that way before the title game, they would have played Brown probably. I mean, I, I don't know. There's so much stuff that goes into that that we have no <laughs> knowledge of. So I'm going to leave that to right. my head. Which, by the way, I mean, I I think it's worth noting that um, like the offensive struggles on on the screen have seemed similar from this year to last year, except this year the problem is the quarterback more so than the coordinator. Whereas last year we knew we had the quarterback; it was more so the coordinator, and that's a good thing long term. Um, I mean, what I I would just say, in my opinion. Um, it's that I agree, but I would broaden it from the quarterback. I would say it's the quarterback in the offensive line this year. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's just been a pretty essential uh, part of the struggles of the offense too. And, and a pretty big drop off from last year to this year, honestly. Well, and I mean, my point of that being like, we got the right guy. I mean, Moorhead is legit from, what we've seen right. thus far this season. Um, and so I, I couldn't be happier to have him in the stable um, until he gets poached by another school. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, which will probably be like after next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get one great year. Damn, a lot going are you on picking, Are you <laughs> yeah, picking up? <laughs> Producer Paul is, uh, you know, in the midst of some... J- degenerate gambling in the front room here oh, so sounds fun in the foyer tuck- yeah exactly son <laughs> tucked away in one of the bedrooms but not quite as soundproof as oh yeah those k-14 walls are thin baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah i mean as far as this i mean getting back to the game part of it as far as this matchup goes like i have i mean i have confidence that we can move the ball and that we can score points it's just a matter of how much um, I mean, the over-under for this game is 58. That pits Iowa State as, uh, what? Let me do some math. We do this every 28, time. 28-24? 28, 20, yeah. No. No. 20, what would it be? 30-28? No, that doesn't make 30, sense. 30-26? 30, no. 29-25. Okay, well. 29-25. Yeah, 29-25. <laughs> okay, no, that's so, right. I mean, the book says Wait. you got to score more than... Wait, was it 58? No, yeah, yeah. 50, no. God, we're terrible at math. It's 58? 31-27. 31-27, that's it. 31, that makes a lot more sense. So, I that mean, the book says if we score four touchdowns, uh, we're doing better than expected. Um, the book also says we got to score more than 31 points yeah. to win. Um, yeah. I think that's a pretty good target. Um, I mean, my final score prediction is somewhere around, like, I... I wrote it down earlier. Now. Oh, I don't know where it is. On, honestly, what I would say though is, um, 
Well, I don't know. It could go both ways. I'm a little more off, I'm a little more optimistic that Vegas is underestimating our defense than I am that they're underestimating our offense. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, I think it probably comes with uh, um, Oregon. You know, getting around that thirty mark, and you know, if we win, I think we hold Iowa State closer to twenty, low twenties maybe. Hmm. Uh, I like that. Um, so, you know, if you're a gambler out there, parlay that Oregon win in the under. Bang. Reed's pick. Boom. Reed's pick. I'm going the other way. I had my prediction was something like like forty five to like thirty five. I think it was forty five thirty five ducks. I mean wow. I just you know, hey, turnovers. Whoa. Turnovers. I think we score one bold prediction for this game, at least one defensive touchdown. Yeah. That's, okay. That's what I got. <laughs> I like it. I'm ready. That's I'm ready a lot. To create that's a lot turnovers. of points, though, man. Hey, man. There's a lot yeah. of a lot of turnovers. You know, we're we're gonna be. What, <laughs> gonna what be is Iowa State averaging on the year? Let me look that up. I don't know. It's also interesting because I mean, Dabo's talked about this a lot in terms of facing uh, Ohio State, but like, there's just not a lot of film of us. Like we've only played six right. games. I mean, they they have half a season worth of film when usually they would have twice, literally twice as much film to look at. So I can yeah. I I'm the coaching staff expected to be here at some point, right? Like they've they've been planning for this type of thing. I really think that we can catch them off guard with some stuff, both offensively and defensively. Um, I, I'm not going to get into the X's and O's because I'm not prepared for that discussion, but like, I feel like we could throw some different packages at them that they haven't seen before, and we can use that to our advantage. I mean, I really think that they've they've just had success, um, you know, pushing around. Uh, I mean, I, th- I I honestly think that a lot of their defensive success has come from the fact that they have just – um, you know, kind of put these, they've been able to get pressure only rushing three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that, I mean, that's something that Hithliday said too. And that's what it's, you know, looked like to me is that they've been able to do that against big 12 offenses. Um, and that if, you know, if, if Chris Ball and Mirabal come through and they actually get this O-line right, um, and this experience, uh, you know, from the six games we've played pays off. And we're able to neutralize that their rush, then uh, you know it opens up a lot more for us. Um, and puts yeah, I mean it, it, that that's the thing is a lot of the challenge of this game just comes down to you know schematics and uh, fundamentals and those things because, like we said at the beginning, if you look at this game from a talent perspective, um, you know you just stack up the rosters. Oregon is, you know, a lot more talented. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, regardless, I think this is just going to be like, I mean, I have, again, comparing it to last year's Rose Bowl, I have complete optimism. Like, the fact that this line has moved a point in a week should not, like, scare us. Um, right. <clears throat> it's also, I think- like, not even a full touchdown's worth of points. Like, for context, the Ohio State is seven and a half point underdogs to Clemson. 
Um, and a lot of people are viewing that game as almost heads up. Well, not a lot of people, right. but, you know, some people. Um, so I think it's going to be, uh, is this, I don't think this is a hot take, the most competitive uh, New Year's Six game. I'm looking through the lines right now. I don't right. see yeah, another one that's as close yeah, to Yeah, because we know Cincinnati's going to blow out Georgia. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's, that's real cute. No, I don't get the I don't get the Florida OU line though. That's a game that will probably we're recording this right before that game kicks yeah, off, I'm so y'all will probably have seen it. But OU's favored by eight and a half. Like and I think Florida's. Too. It started at just seven, I think, or six. Maybe were there opt outs or anything? I have no idea. I I, I, I think there. I, I saw at least one opt out for Florida, but I think the yeah. consensus is more like like Florida thinks their season is over, like. Like Georgia against Texas a couple of years ago. Sure. I mean, SEC teams really have that reputation of not really showing up if they don't make the playoff. Yeah, I feel like. I mean, but I, I, I yeah. mean, I think Florida is a better team. But I just feel like we've seen that a few times where, um, SEC teams in the New Year Six have just kind of, yeah, I don't know, you know, tying I mean, that in. Okay, so tying that into our game we got coming up. Momentum is definitely, I mean, if you had to pick a side, momentum's on our side for this game. I mean, we, yeah. were, we were feeling like absolute shit uh, a couple weeks ago when we wouldn't right. really get a shot at the Pac-12 title. And for Christ's sake, we just lost to Oregon State and Cal. Um, but here we are. So, like, this is as good as it could possibly get for us since then. I mean, and, I feel great. This team has yeah. to feel great. Right. I mean, I think we've kind of broken down the game in terms of, like, we both think it will be close. We both think Oregon can win. I, mm-hmm. And I th- you said you're picking Oregon by 10 or something. I, yeah, what was it? It's by 10, maybe. 45, yeah. 35. Yeah, and I'm probably picking Oregon uh, maybe a little tighter, probably probably by a touchdown or so. Like, a, I don't know, maybe a, a you know, 28 21 or a 31 27 type of game or something um i haven't really nailed down a specific prediction but you know in that range so we're both you know saying that and we've kind of broken down the game one question is like do you feel like this game really matters for oregon because i think some fans feel like oh this 20 season 2020 season's kind of a throwaway we won the rose bowl last year like it doesn't really matter that much if we win or lose this game. It just, I guess it just doesn't feel like the stakes are super high in the fan base leading up to this. Yeah, that's What's true. your take on that? Um, I would say the stakes are slightly lower than the USC game, but, I mean, not really. I mean, every, okay, so every year, Mario talks about this all the time. He's got the, the tiers, right, like the checklist of tiers. First one is winning the Pac-12, so check the second one is getting into the playoff which obviously you can't third one is is winning a national title well can't do the last two so let's just focus on winning a new year's six game which he also talks about a lot we should like i'm i'm putting i'm not writing this game off at all like this game will say a lot about us whether we like it or not mind you um like everybody's to me the whole college football world is going to be watching this game. So whether or not you think it matters doesn't matter. It matters. 
Right. We're, we're gonna. We're. Our eyes are gonna. Everyone's eyes are gonna be on us, whether we're number twenty-five or unranked or number two or number five, what have you. Like, we're gonna have eyeballs, and Iowa State's coming to play. And I still think. I mean. I still think a lot of casual fans, and of course casual is much too broad of a term to be one word, but you get what I'm saying. Um, they don't, they're severely underestimating the Cyclones, and I yeah. don't want to get caught doing that because they are a very good team. And I'm kind I still haven't made up my mind about whether I'd rather face them or Indiana. Um, I still, uh, Indiana's not, I think Indiana's getting. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I mean, all respect to Indiana, they had a good season and everything, but I think people kind of act like just because they only lost one game to Ohio State that they are like, that means that their potential is like a top four team. You know, yeah, like that's they, not how it works. Yeah, Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. But, but, I don't, but, but, but they came within a touchdown. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, my thing is, like you said, you know, these games do matter, and, and part of the luxury or, like, the benefit of being in a New Year's Six Bowl is we get a whole time window all to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're a college football get, fan, you're watching the Fiesta Bowl at 1 o'clock on yeah. January 2nd. There's literally nothing else game. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we get a chance to do that and, you know, add it in. What we don't have the luxury of is, you know, we're not in the SEC. We can't show up flat in a New Year's Six Bowl and just get respect still the next mm-hmm. year, you know. it's We have a whole weight of a, of a conference and, you know, of our program individually. Uh, you know, it's going to be judged a lot in this game. Um, mm-hmm. So it matters. I, I think that, you know, uh, we just need to have that mentality really that, as a program, uh, you know, luckily the fans aren't the one running the program. I know Cristobal doesn't feel this way, you know, but we have to have the mentality that every game matters. You know, if, it, if it's a New Year's Six Bowl, it matters whether you win or lose. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not, um, yeah, I mean, it just matters because it's a chance, you know, it's a chance to do something, to prove something to people and to improve the reputation of the program. Uh, you know, even if it doesn't directly, you know, affect a national championship or even if it, whatever, it's only Iowa State or, you know, whatever you, you want to say, like, it is a chance to get the Fiesta Bowl ring and carry that around for another recruiting cycle and just to, like, show up on a big stage again when all these eyeballs are on you to have people walk away with mm-hmm. a positive impression of Oregon and see, you know, wherever that takes you. And if there's not a direct reaction or consequence of winning the game, it, you know, it has all these effects that I think, you know, not only positives can come from winning it. Exactly. And I mean, that's, that's a big thing that I was about to touch on too, was like before the last game, all we were hearing on, you know, in Instagram comments or whatever is like, Oh my God, Oregon doesn't even deserve to be here. They didn't win their division, blah, blah, blah. Like, the one way to make people shut up is to just win. So let's just do that. Like people actually, like you can still make ex- up to up until now. You can still make excuses, right? You can still say, oh, you know, you were given a spot in the title game. Like 
you had a fluke win or USC is bad team or whatever, like literally none of that matters if we go and win this game. And it still doesn't matter even if we lose, but like, like you actually cannot say anything bad about Mario Cristobal if we win this game. Like there's, right. There's no, there, I mean, there's no more excuses. If you're a hater, you're out of excuses by then. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's 10 years ago or something. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like John Wilmer talking about like, oh, who should be in the Fiesta Bowl? Like it should, like Oregon didn't even win the conference. USC should still be in it. Colorado should Didn't be in it. That. Washington should be in yeah, it. Yeah, Colorado like, should be in it. Did you watch? Yeah, the it's Alamo just like <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, I mean, whatever you want to say about you know the weird way that this season unfolded, and yeah, I mean we you know we got to play in the Pac-12 championship game without really, you know, winning the North per se because we just didn't get to play the game that would have decided the North, you know, and through no fault of our own. So what do you want us to do? But I mean, the real question is, is there any other Pac-12 program that you want to show up in the Fiesta Bowl, yeah. like, yeah. to represent us? No. Like, <laughs> I have the utmost confidence in a big game that Cristobal will get his guys in a better position than any other coach in this conference. Because, I mean, all, all the other ones opted out of a bowl game. Like, they don't even care enough to say, like, this is another chance to go to a bowl game with our team and get experience and practice for two more weeks in a shortened season. And, duh, duh. you know, everyone opted out. And then Colorado, you know, might as well have opted out. Like, I so, wish they'd opted out. That was horrible. Let's do an exercise real quick. In the last two years, because <clears throat> I don't have 28, like I can't remember 2018 as well. So let's just go in the last two years – Let's think of the games where Cristobal's guys have been going in as underdogs, right? Um, here's a hint. There's only, like, three of them. Uh, the first one was Auburn. We all know how that should have ended and how it did end. Um, right. There's uh, Utah, in which we were, like, touchdown underdogs, I think. It might have even mm -hmm. been, like, 10 or 14 or something. Um, yeah. Utah were, were the definite favorites, and we all know how that ended. Uh. Uh, pretty sure uh, we were dogs in the Rose Bowl, yeah. I think we were. On like by a field goal or something like that. So I mean, because I, I mean, mean, even even if you extend that just to like, just to like, there's serious doubt being projected nationally about whether we can win a game. Not necessarily that we're you know have to be yeah. underdogs, but like, look at the USC game in in 2019. Yeah. When we had to travel there, like that was a game a lot of people highlighted and said. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's like those games too are, you know, just, you know, big games where there was a question mark looming over the program where, yeah, I, I, but I mean, your point is super well taken. Anytime that this team's really been challenged in these last two years under Cristobal, they've stepped up in a big way. And for what it's worth, like we've, beaten ourselves more than other teams have like beaten us per se right um i mean you know think about arizona state yeah we like you know, blown coverage shot ourselves in the foot just couldn't get anything going although they arizona state was very good Jaden daniels is like really yeah good. but um regardless uh shoot let's see i mean both the games this year i feel like um we kind of just like shot ourselves in the foot 
Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this year too, and you know, we've talked about this, but we just did take a different approach in the rest of the conference. Mm-hmm. We really, it became clear that we weren't in win now mode. Uh, you know, that we were prioritizing getting experience for younger guys a lot. And um, I think that worked out well. We won it anyways. <laughs> right, yeah, we uh, we still won the Pac-12. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that's also, like, one thing for me that I think, um, you know, fans do have a bit of a role in uh, is, like, you know, we need to have a, culture of stability in the program Mm -hmm. and I think you know what I really do like about the fans is that we've been very supportive of Cristobal um, and we've had his back and you know we've had a lot of confidence in him and I think that gives him the luxury to do the what he thinks is the right thing and develop this roster for the future and that you know even in you know this kind of disappointing year at times the fact that people have still are still committed to Cristobal is a really good thing because if you look down south at like USC, you know Clay Hilton couldn't have, um, you know, spent this year doing anything but trying to win. Now, mm-hmm. really, I mean, you know, he he every single year he feels like he's going to be fired, and even if he has the job, their fans are still shopping for the next best coach and you know, reminiscing about how much better they should be than they actually are and all that stuff, you know. But, I, I mean, even through all that, what Cristobal ended up being able to do was beat that USC team in their, uh, you know, in their stadium and everything. So, I, I mean, it's really been a fun year, I think, even with those two really bad losses and some bad performances. I just do feel so lucky that we got to watch football at all got to watch ducks football at all um and that we get to have this you know last big game versus iowa state and i feel good about you know this group's ability to show up in it um and compete which is you know the most important thing yeah and i mean i think the last point i want to make is that um like iowa state's for real i mean i've been saying this but, like, they're going to be – I know they're not, like, a big program right now by, like, anybody's real stand. I mean, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl, so there's a standard for you. But, like, <clears throat> they had a legit shot to win the Big 12 this year. The Big 12 is a, you know, a quality conference. Um, it's definitely better yeah. than the Pac-12. Matt Campbell is doing, like, some that's real true, stuff. But yes. Oh, no, come on. The Big 12 is better than the Pac-12. Dude, I really I – don't, I don't even think that's true. I really don't. Okay, wait, let's okay, let's get into this a little bit then. Um I think um I mean they just performed so badly in their early season. Like in their in their non-conference games early, they were like really poor. I'm going through the these now. I mean, Iowa State lost by 17 to Louisiana. Kansas State lost to Arkansas State. Um yeah, uh, I mean sorry, Kansas no. lost to Coastal Carolina, but that doesn't look as bad as it did. Obviously, Oklahoma State beat Tulsa by nine. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, I mean, man, I, I don't I, disrespect I, Tulsa. I don't. I just don't think the Big Twelve is really that that awesome. Obviously, I mean the Texas big win over over Colorado is kind of puts a damper that's, on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean though. that's really what. I was going after it's like 
there's i mean how got oklahoma and oregon are kind of like on the same about the same level right now i mean like not this season uh, specifically on the field but like right in terms of like you know ability to be a playoff team like for the next five years or whatever. here's what i think i don't think any of the teams below like like i think there's four good teams in the big 12 obviously the four ranked ones oklahoma iowa state oklahoma state and texas right yeah like below that none of them are very good like at all but like below us tcu's good in the (laughs) pac-12 i mean i think i think people are just inconsistent Uh, but yeah i mean i i don't know i think like okay i'll give you this like our worst isn't as bad as their worst because you're not going to get as bad as kansas like you're just not going to find that probably anywhere else i mean arizona is pretty bad but yes true um but that's really our only that's our only like horrible team though this season yeah i mean ucla is actually decent um, yeah, UCLA is pretty. Like the whole South is pretty good. I, yeah. I I don't think Colorado was like that good ultimately. Like I just think, I think the whole Colorado thing was just like. No, they just hadn't. Yeah, what they went three and zero and thought they or four and zero and thought they were like legit. No, you yeah no they, State. If you look at their their schedule like they beat ucla by six i'm picking ucla definitely if they rematch that they beat stanford by three like i think stanford got better as the season went on i mean that's like a close game and then they beat arizona then they lost to utah by 17 like like i just think call like colorado honestly what like what do you think colorado is the what blank best team in the pac-12 i'm thinking right now too Ooh. Like, are we talking like long term or short term? Like this season. This season. This season, they were the blank best team in the Pac-12. Like power rating them. Like I would yeah, pick them over this many other teams. Yeah. Seventh or lower, probably seventh. Well, maybe I'll give them sixth. Maybe I'll give them. Sixth. Like I think Oregon's better. I think Washington's better. Oregon, I think U.S. Stanford, USC. USC, Utah is better. Stanford, Stanford's, I mean, they did beat Stanford. Um, well, like. But, like. Well, yeah, okay, I guess we can. Arizona State is probably better. UCLA, I think, is better. Who's the team you feel the worst for in the conference? Because a lot of people will say you dumped just off top because, like, they literally had to cancel their chance of getting the title that they were lined up to get. Who do I feel the worst for? I'm going to go Arizona State because. They lost in heartbreaking fashion to USC and then basically got almost the rest of their season canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel pretty bad for them. Um, I think they're pretty solid, actually. They really just... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact they put 70 on Arizona State, how, regardless of how bad Arizona... Or they put seven on 70 on Arizona... Um, like regardless of how bad you think Arizona is, just like scoring yeah. seventy is is kind of a feat, you know. To like some I, school I don't maybe. think. Well, I don't think like this Oregon team could score seventy. Oh, no. maybe it could. Not a chance. 
I mean, maybe if we played Arizona a few times. Yeah, maybe if we played Arizona. <laughs> but, Which, yeah. by the way, we didn't really have any, like, as as weird as this season was and as bad as we performed against Oregon State and Cal. Well, that's my point, is we did perform that bad. We didn't have any gimme games this season. Right, it, Damn, I, and I think... Oh, Drake, somebody, I think it's Drake going crazy back there. Yeah, Drake's going crazy. <laughs> um, I think we... Uh, I think we played a lot of teams when they were playing their best, too. Or, like, yeah, I mean, I, or just, like, I mean, naturally, you know, we are, like, the team of the of the conference, yeah. the standard of the conference, so teams want to play us hard. I mean, Stanford, I think we got, that was pretty easy. And they weren't, they definitely weren't playing their best. Um, Washington State was fine. They they helped, They played pretty solid against us, I guess. I thought we played a really good game yeah, I mean, against them, honestly. Like, give me, though. I mean, I'm talking about games where, like, before anyone shows up, you know, you know what's gonna happen. Right. Like we, obviously, you see, we didn't have any FCS opponents this season or like anything like that. I mean, I mean yeah, like, that's kind of the nature. Of what, yeah, but like, I mean, even like we thought our South draw was pretty good going into it, or like that pretty that UCLA wasn't that good us. of a yeah. yeah, pretty favorable exactly. And UCLA, I think, turned out to be. I don't know, like a top five team in the conference, maybe. Imagine if we had lost that I, game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that would have been really bad. But um, it kind of felt like, I it, it kind of feels like they were a top five team, maybe. or I don't know. They were good. They were pretty good. And then I think Oregon State and Cal played good games against us. Um, we didn't play well at all. And that's no excuse. I mean, like, you know, if we want to be really good, it should not matter how good of a game Oregon State plays against us, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's you know our we should be able to control the outcome of that game regardless of what they do. But um, still, you know, we're not quite at that point yet. And and yeah, I think looking back, the schedule wasn't always quite as easy as as it had seemed at one point, and teams played well. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I don't have much else to say except uh go green wave y'all got a big game tomorrow right uh yeah tomorrow it's oh you got the early game against mike leach so hey your favorites uh tulsa or no wait it's tulsa. damn it i dude i always yeah. do this i always confuse tulsa and tulane and it's I okay man will. well i forget what even happened in our game um we green wave what would we do Oh, I'm totally lost. Oh, we lost to Nevada by 11 in the potato bowl. That's right. Oh, yeah, with the fries. That's mm. Those look like good fries. Dang, you hate to see that. Uh, do you want to pick any of these other games? you want to just give them? Yeah, let's, let's uh, do like, some quick picks. Don't talk rapid six. fire. Okay, okay. Uh, Georgia minus seven, taking the dogs with the points. Um, do we even want to pick this... Uh, Notre Dame. This is game not... that just kicked off. Oh, uh, sure. Might I'll as well. Take, I'll take Oklahoma. I think I just read a headline actually a couple seconds ago that uh, Florida did have a ton of opt outs. So yeah, I'll take Oklahoma. Um, okay, I'll go Oklahoma too. Um, Notre Dame. Just go. Don't do your six. Alabama's taking. Alabama's winning. Alabama right. with the points. Uh, I'll t- I'm taking. I'm taking Cincy. 
I'm taking – I hate you. I'm taking Ohio State, honestly, against Clemson. Not to win, but uh, to cover. I'm, I'm taking Clemson. I think they'll cover, but I think it'll be close just like last year. I'm um, taking Clemson to cover. I don't think it'll be as close. Um, And then – Oregon. Oregon. Oregon, uh, Oregon obviously. Um, straight up. And, and uh, then North Carolina, Texas. This is interesting. I, I don't have a great read on this game, but I'm, I'm super excited to watch it. Yeah, me too. I mean, this will be a really fun one. Um, so let's hope we win, and then I'm not like sick to death of football, so that I can watch this game. Yeah, because um, usually that's what happens if we lose a game. I just like can't I, do the Yeah, I'm kind of excited that the other three New Year's Six bowls, or that you know the playoff and the Georgia game is on the first, so like I can mm-hmm. just enjoy it and not even have the yeah. the Ducks game like in my mind, and then I can kind of yeah focus on that. On yeah, yeah. I mean the. I I don't see Texas A&M boozing this game, but I do. Eh, no, I'll take Texas A&M to cover the spread seven and a half to the Aggies. I'll take A&M to cover. I think they're gonna I'll probably take A&M too. They're yeah. just a straight up better team than North Carolina. I mean, who is North Carolina beaten this season? I can no tell one, you, not Clemson just, and not Notre Dame. So like, yeah, they just hung with Notre Dame. Um, well. For like you know, whatever that's worth. And they killed Miami at the end. Well, I mean, uh, did they do anything else? No. No, not really at all. All right, well, there's your big uh, big Fat Festival preview. Um, I don't have anything else to say, but go Ducks. Yep, yeah, enjoy, y'all. Go Ducks.